0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, I hope you all have a copy of the, the whole outline. We have um, taken a couple of weeks to go through the first uh, 12 chapters. And we've got to get to chapter, uh, what is the, the last chapter? 28? 28, yeah. So we got to throw it into high gear here. Actually, it's going to be fairly easy to do that. We're going to do it in picture form this morning with some words scattered in. And um, hopefully at the back of your Bible, you have a, a map and that's what they were there for, they were put there for uh, today's message. So I don't know if they can be used for anything else, but they'll certainly be used today. If you have one that says something like <clears throat> Paul's journey, if you've got a really fancy Bible, you might actually have three different maps, Paul's first journey, second journey, third journey. but if not, you've got a bunch of arrows. And we'll try to figure out where the arrows are pointing. Okay? Alright, if you're looking at the Old Testament maps, that's not what we need today. We're looking for something that talks about Paul's journey. If not, we're going to show them on an overhead anyway. But in case you want to follow along, um, we've got them here. Now, let me put this in historical perspective for you for just a minute. The year... In chapter 13, the year is about 48 A.D. 18 years have passed since the church began. When did the church begin? Sorry? Pentecost. Pentecost. Yeah, I wasn't looking for a date. At Pentecost. And the church will continue until what time? The The rapture. Okay, any day now. So we're still in the church age. Now, the gospel up to this point has gone, as the Lord commanded, out to Jerusalem. <clears throat> it has gone out to Judea and Samaria, but it has not gone to the uttermost parts of the earth. Some Christians, as a result of persecution in Jerusalem, scattered to various cities and various places uh, throughout what we would consider uh, parts of Europe and parts of um, um, Asia Minor today. But the gospel, there was no concerted effort to get the gospel out to the world at this point. And so what we have in chapters 13 and 14, it's become known as Paul's first missionary journey. The journey begins with Barnabas, Paul, and a man we haven't heard about yet. His name is John Mark. John Mark was actually a relative of Barnabas. I think he was a nephew or a cousin. It's hard to distinguish sometimes when you have relatives in the Bible, but he was a, he was a relative anyway of Barnabas. Now, the travel <coughs> was primarily by foot. And uh, when we talk about going from one city to the other, um, we're used to getting in the car Taking a drive down there. In fact, we are so lazy, and it's not just this generation, but I remember when we were growing up, we lived exactly, let me see here, two blocks from the grocery store. And we would drive to the grocery store. Okay. Now, on, on Sunday afternoons, or Saturday afternoon, actually, my dad would give us an our allowance, and he would give us 10 cents. And we would go down. I know that some of you kids are going to find this hard to believe, but he, we would get 10 cents and we would go down to the store, and we would sit there for half an hour bothering the store clerk about which penny candy we wanted. And we'd say, well, let me take two of those and three of those and five of that, and we'd come away with a bag of candy for 10 cents. And they would just patiently take three of this and two of that. Anyway, that was uh, back then. What has that to do with the sermon? I have no idea. (laughs) Except that we... Drove down there, and we didn't walk. But here we have uh, a journey that took place. It took 14, I mean, it it was over a period or um, uh, an area of, distance traveled was 1,400 miles. took about two years, and they walked most of the trip over mountains, valleys, and so on. So, if you're looking at your chart that you have in front of you, you'll see that we're looking at Acts 12, beginning with verse 25, and going through to Acts 14, 28. So, the journey, let's just take a look at it. In, in um, Acts chapter 12, 25, they are actually in Jerusalem, and they go up to Antioch, which is the central um, church from which the missionary movement spread into uh, Europe. And so... Antioch is modern day Syria. And they left Syria and they sailed to the island of Cyprus. They came to the city or the town of Salamis, which is on the, uh, coast over here. And they traveled through, yeah, if you don't mind. They traveled through the island itself and they came to the city of Paphos, southern Cyprus. That's in chapter 13, verse 6. Now, there's an interesting thing that happened here. As they preached the gospel through this, um, through this island, um, they came to one of the officials. His name was Sergius Paulus. And Sergius Paulus was actually a religious man. He wasn't saved, but he sought the Lord. He wanted to know the Lord. And he, he certainly was praying and asking uh, the Lord to probably reveal himself to him. When they came and and Paul began to preach the gospel to him, they ran into a conflict. Sergius Paulus wanted to hear, but there was a man who was a sorcerer, and he did not want to see the gospel taking root. I have no doubt that uh, someone who was devoted to sorcery probably was demon-possessed, and he wanted to prevent the gospel from going forward in uh, in this case here. And Paul looked at him, And he said that the Lord would blind him. Uh, The man was already blind. okay. And God often ratifies choices that people make. And this man chose to get into sorcery, and he was blind spiritually. But the Lord uh, was going to blind him physically. It would match his spiritual condition. And the Lord, in fact, did that. As a result of this, Sergius Paulus believed the gospel, and he was saved. And so we have... Um, a convert here in Cyprus. Then they traveled by ship, and they went up to this area up in here. Um, Perga is the name of the town in, in, a, in an area called Pamphylia. A lot of these names are difficult for us. When they got there, something happened to the missionary team. There were three of them. And the youngest member was John Mark. And John Mark, maybe because he was young, maybe because of some of the events that, the, that took place on the island of Cyprus, we don't know really why, but he just quit. He said, nothing. look, I'm not going any further, guys. I don't know what your thoughts are about you know traveling here and where you're heading, but I'm not going with you. And he boarded on a ship and he went back uh, home. So we're now down to Paul and Barnabas. And actually, if you read the Scriptures carefully... This, although we call it Paul's first missionary journey, he's there. But Barnabas actually, at least initially, leads the charge. He's really one who is, is moving uh, forward. Paul is more of the speaker along the way here, though. So then they move to another city called Antioch. And in scripture, you, it's interesting to, to see that very often you'll come across names that are the same, city names that are the same. And we have that case here. They were sent out from Antioch. And now they're in Antioch. But it's a different Antioch. And the scripture makes it plain. It says Antioch in Pisidia. And so that's this uh, Antioch up here. This is modern-day Turkey. So just to get a kind of perspective in your own minds here. When Paul reached this town, he first of all preached to the Jews. And this is the pattern that Paul um, took as he went into different towns. He would go into the synagogue or into the area where the Jews were meeting And he would preach the gospel to them first. And when they rejected the gospel, then he would take the gospel message to the Gentiles. And this is the case here. He preached to the Jews first. And it says in the scripture that many believed the gospel. Many believed Paul's message. And then he taught them for about a week. Well, there was so much buzz going on in town about what was happening that the Gentiles heard about it. And they pled with Paul to teach them also. So when they, <clears throat> the following Sabbath, he went back to the uh, synagogue and he began to preach in the synagogue again. This time, some of the religious Jews became envious of him. These were people who did not believe the previous week. So we have some Jews who believed, some Gentiles who want to believe, and he's now preaching to the, to the Jews again, and those who did not believe the first week are now filled with envy And they want to squelch him. They want to shut him up. And so they began to oppose him. Paul warned them and he said, look, the gospel is for you. But if you're going to reject it, then the gospel is going to go out to the Gentiles. And they actually gladly received the word of the Lord. So this created tension in the city. It created tension among the religious uh, leaders there. And so they began to, to find the prominent people of town, maybe the po- political leaders, maybe the, the business leaders, but people who were prominent in town and began to stir them up to to raise up opposition against Paul. And so Paul, as he left this region, he took the sandals off his feet and he shook them out of the and, and shook the dust off um, the sandals and he left. Well, this was <clears throat> the beginning of some of the persecution that Paul and Barnabas would face, and Paul would ultimately continue to face in his ministry. But it's interesting to note what happens when they're persecuted. Here, they leave the city rejoicing. You say, wait a minute. <laughs> they were just persecuted. Why would they go out rejoicing? Remember what James said? <clears throat> My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. It's not that we're, we, we, we're, sadists or something like that and, and want to be persecuted or hurt or something like that. But there's a reason behind the persecution. They're doing the right thing. They're preaching the gospel. They're making they're making the Lord known to, to people and they're receiving opposition. That should fill their hearts with gladness, and it does. And it should fill ours with gladness if we are persecuted for righteousness sake or persecuted for the Lord's sake. Well, they moved from there to the town of Iconium. That's the next stop on the uh, on the map here. Paul, again, went to the Jews first. Many Jews and Gentiles believed the gospel, but the city was divided. Some who believed, some who did not believe. And uh, those who opposed the gospel rose up, and they wanted to stone the missionaries. Well, they're getting serious now. In the other city, it was just simply opposition. Now they're wanting to kill them. And so... Paul and his company heard about the plot and they fled to uh, Lystra or Lystra. Um, I like to call it Lystra. This city um, was different than the cities they had been to so far. It was an idolatrous city, full of idols and full of religious people, but they worshiped uh, gods that do not speak, gods that do not hear, gods that do not see gods that are not gods at all they're idolaters so as paul came into the city he met a um, a lame man and he looked at the lame man and he told them that the lord jesus could heal him and he watched for a response in the man and he saw that the man was a man who had faith that god could heal him and he said rise up and walk and he was healed and the man believed the lord well, this set the town on fire. This whoa! Look at this. These guys just marched into our town, and they're starting to heal people. This is incredible. They must be gods. Well, if your whole mentality, your whole mindset, is one of of worshiping idols and worshiping gods, here are two people, and they're seeing something they've never seen in their lives before. And they look at Paul and they look at Barnabas, and they say, "Barnabas, he, he's Zeus. He's he's a god come down in the flesh. And Paul, he's Hermes, and he's another god who has come down in the flesh." And so they said, well, what, what do idolaters do? Well, they build altars and they begin to worship them. They want to, to offer sacrifices to these two men. And Paul and Barnabas didn't understand what they were doing at first, but when they caught wind of what they were getting at, they said, no, wait a minute. We're men just like you. We're just flesh and blood. But we have a message we want to tell you about the one true God. He is the one to believe in. And so they preached that message to them. Well, in the meantime... The enemies from these towns caught up with them. The Jews from these towns caught up with them here in um, Lystra, and um, they wanted to kill them. And they were—I guess—they picked up the stones back in their town, and they just carried them with them. And somewhere along the way, we're going to find these guys, and when we do, we're going to throw stones at them until they're dead. And so that's what they did—they stoned him, and they hoped to kill him. And they dumped his body outside of town. They were through with Paul finally. But Paul, but God wasn't through with Paul, was he? He raised him up and he went on to the next city, the city of Derby. How many of you would have quit by now? You're honest, okay? How many of you would quit when somebody says something, oh, you're a Christian? (laughs) That's enough for me, thanks, okay? But here he's willing to be persecuted stoned, left for dead for the sake of the gospel. So he left to go to Derby and the surrounding areas, and they preached there. And as they, they, um, everywhere they went, they saw people saved. So now he's completed the first leg of his journey, and he begins to go and retrace his steps back through the cities where he was persecuted. Wow, why would he do that? Now, I don't know about you, but I would think of finding my way back to Antioch a different way. Probably just carrying on. You know, actually, his hometown was right about here. He was closer to home than he was to go back to any of these cities. But he didn't go home. He he retraced his steps, went right back to the cities where they had uh, the people who had stoned him. Because he had a purpose in mind, and that was to build the church. He saw people saved, but he wanted to see them growing. And he went back and he established the churches, he strengthened the disciples, he encouraged the believers, and the Bible tells us that he raised up elders. Wow. Two years. And you have churches with elders, functioning churches in all of these towns. That's amazing. That's amazing. In a matter of weeks or a matter of months, the total trip took a period of two years and so they retraced went back and then they sailed back to Antioch where the journey ends in uh, chapter 14 so as i say the first missionary journey took about 2 years <clears throat> covered about 1400 miles and we kind of go yeah okay that's that's nice 1400 miles how far is 1400 miles david you can't answer cuz you heard on the car on the way over on the way over I came from the city of Vancouver, British Columbia. Most of you know where that is. It's the city that is probably the closest Canadian city to the U.S border, a uh, Washington border. So if I were to walk from Vancouver and head south, how far would I have to go to get to 1,400 miles? Almost Mexico? Yeah, well, actually San Diego, okay? So that's pretty close. So if I walked through Seattle, kept walking through Portland, kept walking through California, all the way down to San Diego, that's 1,400 miles. That's a long journey. That's one, uh, one very long journey. Paul <clears throat> left many small churches in his wake with growing believers and elders to shepherd the flock in two years. I'll tell you, i just share something personal with you. <clears throat> Over the last uh, few months, I've been vexed in my soul. Um, I have to ask myself, what are we doing to reach the lost? What am I doing to reach the lost in our generation? What are we doing to plant churches? What are we doing to reach our community? And I have to ask myself as I read this passage of scripture in the first missionary journey of Paul, would I walk 1,400 miles and stop in cities along the way to preach the gospel because I have a passion for the lost? Would I stop in towns and cities and be persecuted and driven out and thrown out and stoned and left for dead so that people might hear the gospel? Is that the kind of Christianity that I have? Wow. Wow. Would I devote two years of my life to do nothing else but go out and preach the gospel? Paul could have been a successful businessman. He has an A personality, you know? A plus, probably. He could have been a marvelous tent maker. You know, that's what he did on the side, and I'm sure he would have been very successful. I can just, you know, back home, we used to have a company called Jones Tent and Awning. They were famous in the in the city for... Um, all the tents and awnings that they made. And they were very successful at it. Paul could have been a very successful businessman. I have no doubt about it. But he chose rather to to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and win souls for him. My soul is troubled about what I'm not doing, about what we're not doing. Well, one of the issues that comes up next, they've arrived back at Antioch, the church there at Antioch, and any time there is blessing... There's often persecution or there's often trials that come alongside of it. And this is no exception. When we enter into chapter 15, we see one of the greatest tests that the church has had to face up to this point. And in chapter 15, verse 1, it reads this. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. Wow. Is that true? Well, I see a few shaking heads. I'm glad to see some. This issue plagued the early church, where men who are often called Judaizers, these are people who want to put Christians under the law of Moses, and this is essentially what they're saying. What you know about Jesus Christ is good. What you have heard about faith in Him is good. And that's okay to believe in Jesus. But it's not good enough. If you are trusting by faith alone in Jesus Christ, you're still on your way to hell. That's what they were preaching. Is that true? Wow. I'm afraid for you. If that's the response I get. So light. Is it true? No. A little better. (laughs) All religions can be divided into two categories. There is one religion, there is one uh, faith, if you will, that is true, and all the others are false. The only way of salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Plus nothing. Are you willing to die for that? Are you willing to give your life for that? That's the truth of the gospel message. But here these Judaizers came from Jerusalem, from Judea, and they came to the church in Antioch and they said, What you're preaching is good, but it's not good enough. What you're preaching is good, but you won't be saved by believing this, and unless you are circumcised, you will you will die in your sins. You will not go to heaven. You cannot be saved. And it starts uh, tremendous turmoil here. False teaching has always been the major issue in the churches, uh, uh, for the churches to resist. False teaching isn't always blatant. False teaching is often um, sprinkled with a whole lot of truth and just a little lie. But it is that little lie that will keep people out of heaven. It is that little lie that will send people to hell. And if you believe the gospel that they were preaching, these Judaizers who came to Antioch, you will in fact go to hell. Simple as that. Because what it says is this, that the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross is not sufficient to pay for your sins in full. That he did his 99% of it, but you still have to do your 1%. Whatever the amount is, um, that's what, what divides... Tr- the truth, true Christianity from every false religion that is out there. And there are many, quote, Christian religions today, Christian uh, groups today who preach another gospel. The Catholic Church, for example, preaches that what Jesus Christ did on the cross is good, but it's not good enough. You still have to be born. Um, you have to be baptized by the church. You have to be uh, die in grace. You have to have co- Holy Communion in, in church there and so on. And all these other things that are added to the gospel. And Paul in Galatians pulls out the, the biggest guns that he has. And he shoots this false teaching through and through. And he says, even if an angel of God were to come and preach another gospel, which is no gospel at all, at all let him be anathema, maranatha. He's saying, let him be accursed forever. Uh, may the Lord come quickly. That's what he says. Wow. And it's one of the strongest... In fact, he says it twice, just to emphasize it all the stronger. It's this, one of the strongest uh, condemnations against this false teaching that there is in the Scripture. So Paul and Barnabas disputed. They were up in Antioch. They're disputing with these false teachers. And they're saying, I don't get this. These guys say that they have authority from, from the uh, church in uh, Jerusalem, that they have sent them to preach this gospel to us, which is no gospel at all. This can't be so. And I think Barnabas and Paul were just floored by this, that this would be coming from Jerusalem. And so they got on it right away, and they went down to Jerusalem to, in fact, see if the churches there had gone astray. And so when they went there, they uh, taught, they, they met with the uh, apostles, and they, they told them of the gospel that they had been preaching, and the gospel that they had taken to the Gentiles. And they said, Brothers, do you believe the same thing? And of course, they did. They believe that the gospel is by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Peter, after this, sums up the message this way: as he, as they come to a conclusion, and, and in this uh, uh, debate that came up, he says, "This. It is clear that the Jews are saved on the same basis as the Gentiles." <laughs> it was quite a statement that he. It wasn't that the Gentiles were the same, saved the same way the Jews were, but that the Jews were saved the same way the Gentiles were. And what is how is a Gentile saved? By hearing the word of God and believing the word of God. It's by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. So the conclusion from this council, this early church council, confirmed that the message of the gospel is to be kept pure. And it is to be kept... Uh, to continue to preach faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. But they said, you know, we cannot lay some burden on the um, on the Gentiles. We can't lay some yoke upon them that we couldn't even bear. What do we expect of the Gentiles? What do we expect of their life? How should they live? And this is what they concluded. The Gentiles were to abstain from four things. First of all, food polluted by idols, that is offered to idols. Two to keep from sexual immorality. Three, from meat of strangled animals. And four, from the blood of animals. And that was the conclusion. Those are the only burdens they placed on the Gentiles. Nothing further. And they're not really burdens at all. Okay, next. The year is approximately 50 A.D. And uh, Paul has this burning desire to go back to the churches that he had planted and to make sure that the believers there were going on strong and well for the Lord. And so Paul says to Barnabas, Barnabas, let's go. Barnabas says, okay. But let's bring John Mark with us. And Paul said, are you kidding? Now, I don't know what he really said exactly. It's not told us. But... There was a dispute anyway, and it was a heated dispute. And I can imagine the things that were said, and I wouldn't want to repeat them. I'm sure they kept their language clean. But I think that Paul looked at, at John Mark as a failure. He looked at him and said, look, we, we, we hardly began our trip. We hadn't even really received any persecution yet. And this guy was a big failure. He just flaked off. He flaked out, and he, he didn't go with us. He went back home, went running back home to mommy. And you want to take him with us again? Look, Barnabas, you know the trip. You know how hard things were. You know how we were persecuted. You know how we were stoned. And all the rest of it, he's not going to make it. And there was a fight. There was a fight between the two of them. Two very strong Christian brothers. And Barnabas said, You know what? I see something in John Mark. And I believe the Lord wants to use him. Again, I'm using a little liberty here it doesn't say all that in the scripture but something along those lines there's something about him that i think the lord can use and barnabas his name means what helper Helper, son of encouragement that's what he was he encouraged all along his his life and that's what he did here and he's and it's actually it split these two brothers and and paul went on his not on his own but he went by himself with others and then uh, barnabas went on his own and took john mark with him Years and years and years went by and later we read in the epistles that Paul writes and he says, bring John Mark with you for he is useful to me. No thanks to Paul, (laughs) but certainly thanks to the Lord working through Barnabas and causing this failure to be someone who was useful in uh, in the Lord's service. Well, the Lord use them both anyway. And uh, Barnabas took Mark with him and they traveled back to Cyprus. And so they ministered. Remember, there were churches that were planted there too. And so they had to be strengthened. And so they went there and they strengthened the churches there, no doubt. Paul then took another man with him. His name was Silas. And it is this journey that we follow in the book of Acts. It's called the second missionary journey. <clears throat> now, if you notice on the map, the first time they went through here, came up here, and then back again. Remember the, or I mean back up to here, actually. Um, 1,400 miles. Any idea how long this one is? Just guess. Okay, pretty close, 2,800 miles. Okay, now we're talking in terms of walking from Vancouver down the coast all the way down to San Diego, and then back again, okay? And we don't have four years, it's still just two years. Okay. So he doubled the, the distance and uh, went in a two-year period as well. Now, the two of them went together, Paul and Silas, but as the trip goes on, we see that others join this band of uh, missionaries here, and uh, we'll see some of that as we go. At first, they go to the regions of Syria, it's not shown on the map, well, Syria is here, but, but up in this area here in Syria, and Cilicia interesting thing is it says that they strengthened churches there. But we don't read anywhere about where these churches were planted. So others must have seen churches planted along the way or at some time. And they went through this region and uh, they began to strengthen the churches that were there. They then went to Derby and to uh, Lystra here in um, where, where they had been before. So Derby they had been to before. Lystra they had been to before. And they strengthened the believers that were there. But when they came to Lystra this time, they met a, a young man. His name was Timothy. He was just a kid, you know, probably uh, late teens. Um, and uh, he was well spoken of by the believers who were there. He, he really shone in the, in the churches that were there. Not just in his own town, but he was known in the area as one who was really dedicated to the Lord. Really on fire for the Lord. And Paul says, I want to take him with me. I want him to be a disciple alongside of him. Now he was not an A personality. Timothy wasn't. He was kind of a shrinking violet, and, and we read that all the way through uh, the scriptures that he he it was difficult for him to minister, but he was willing to minister, and uh, it was it was hard for him to do a lot of difficult things. But with a little encouragement from Paul, uh, he really stood up to the challenge, and he and he went forward, and he he was greatly used by the Lord. So we could stop right here and do a whole life lesson on Timothy. But we don't have time, so that's for another day. All right, they went probably to Iconium next. It doesn't say that in the Scripture, but it appears that that's where they went next. Um, and as he strengthened the believers, it was an interesting uh, statement that is made in chapter 16, verse 5. It says that the churches grew in number daily. Wow. That we ought to pray that the church here in this area might grow daily. Well, another thing that we learned from this um, journey is that as they were traveling in this direction here, Paul decided that he wanted to go into Asia. And the Holy Spirit of God said, No, I don't want you going to Asia. He said, Okay, well, if that door closed, then I want to go to Bithynia. This is the area up in here that he was going to go to. There's people up here who haven't heard the gospel yet. And the Holy Spirit of God said, no, I don't want you going to Bithynia. Okay, well, if it's not door number one and it's not door number two, where do you want me to go? And Paul had a vision, probably a dream at night. And he he dreamed, or in this vision, he saw a man from Macedonia, a Macedonian man. Macedonia is this area over here. And... Um, this man was calling to them to come over and help them. We need help. We need help. And when he, when the vision was over or when the dream was ended, he awoke and uh, he recognized that the Lord was calling him to go to that area. And so that's what they did next. They came to Troas. Troas is uh, a sea, seaport here. And they sailed on a ship over to Neapolis. And then from Neapolis, uh, they came to Philippi. Well, we'll stop here at Philippi for just a minute. Philippi was a leading city of Macedonia, and it was a Roman colony. They were there in Philippi for a number of days, and on the Sabbath, they they went looking for people who were interested in spiritual things. And so that's who they concentrated on first. They heard of a group that would meet for prayer by the riverbank, and when they came there, they met a lady named Lydia, and she was a seller of purple. That just simply, she didn't sell the color. She actually dyed clothing in the color purple and sold purple-colored clothing. That was her job. And uh, she was a woman who feared the Lord. She wasn't a Christian. And Paul presented the gospel to her, and she believed the gospel. Wonderful, wonderful day. And they were right there by the river, and so what do you do with someone who just professed faith in Christ? She, she was baptized. And uh, she invited the evangelist into her home and uh, they stayed for a while, and then probably the next week, or within a, a short period of time, they went back to the river to uh, pray again with the the uh, group of believers. And a young girl began to follow them. And uh, she began to cry out for all of the people to hear, These are servants of the Most High God. They are preaching the truth. Listen to them. Well, wouldn't you like to have that? I mean, boy, it'd be nice having somebody go before you or behind you shouting the truth of the message that you're preaching. Wouldn't that be great? Say, thank you very much. Okay, now I'll preach my message. Problem was, Paul was really irritated by this. Really irritated by this. And, uh, and she kept doing it day after day after day. The problem wasn't with the message, the problem was with the messenger. Do you know who she was? Well, the Bible tells us that she was uh, a demon-possessed girl who was into probably a fortune teller. That's probably what she, what she did. She was into um, sorcery, and she was into probably fortune telling. She had um, people that owned her. They were her bosses, if you will, and they made lots and lots of money. She was like a carnival show for the locals, and people would pay money to hear her pronounce some kind of future event that might take place in their life. So she was a fortune teller, and she was controlled by a demon. And so not exactly the best advertisement. She was known in the city as being this demonic fortune teller. So not exactly the person you want promoting the gospel, wouldn't you say? So that's why Paul was irritated. And finally, he he couldn't take any more of it, and he turned around, and he said to the demon that was in her to come out of her, and the demon was cast out of her and she could no longer fortune tell. No kidding. It wasn't a gift that she had in herself. It was demonic. And I would say that for those who look at the uh, horoscope or those who seek after this sort of thing, you're dealing with demonic uh, forces. Okay, It's not something that Christians should be doing. And so <clears throat> now her bosses are going, wait a minute, you've just... Stopped our income source. We were making money hand over fist from this town, and now we're we're going to go broke. And so they were mad. Of course they were mad, because their whole livelihood was uh, shot in one afternoon. And so they stirred up a crowd, and this crowd began to um, come after Paul and Silas, and they uh, were taken before the the uh, um, court, if you will, and they were stripped, and they were beaten, and they were thrown into. Uh, prison that night you ready to quit Christianity now Paul Silas you had enough want to go home at midnight chained to the stocks Paul and Silas sang out hymns of praise to the Lord Wow it's amazing but you know what, what freedom they had and what joy that must have filled their heart they're beaten They're hurting, they're in stocks, it's not comfortable, and they're singing praises to the Lord. Why? Because they knew that they weren't there for evil that they had done. They were there because they were in exactly the right place at the right time, doing and serving, doing what the Lord wanted them to do and serving Him. And so at midnight, or sometime thereafter, there was an earthquake. And it was a force of Great enough. Obviously, it was a miraculous earthquake. I mean, it was the earth moving, and the building shook, and the doors of the prison flung open, and their chains fell off, and everything was dark inside there, and the jailer woke up, and he was commissioned to keep those guys, and if he lost any of the prisoners, whoosh, off with his head. That's the way it was in those days. It wasn't just a cut and pay, it was a cut and head. So the jailer assumed that, like any prisoner, they just all up and left. I mean, you've got an open door. Why wouldn't you leave? And Paul saw that what he was about to do was take out his sword and fall on it and kill himself. And he stopped him and he said, stop, don't do this. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer was just so stunned by the events and what had taken place and that the fact that they were still there, and I have no doubt that Paul and Silas, even before they started singing hymns of praise, they probably preached to the, preached to the uh, jailer. Because that's what they did. Even when Paul was chained later to the Roman guards uh, in Rome, he preached to to them. And some of them believed. And I'm sure he did that here as well. And so the the man is is so overwhelmed by what has taken place. He says, what must I do to be saved? Nothing else matters. I just about lost my life. I just about took my life. What must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's the gospel, as simply as it can be put. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again the third day. You believe that gospel message, and he saves your soul. Wow. And his household was too. Well, early that morning, the jailer took Paul and Silas home, cleaned up their wounds, and uh, fed them. And he and his household heard the word of the Lord and heard the gospel message. They believed it, and they were baptized right on the spot. And this was the beginning of the church in Philippi. Later, Paul writes to this church that met in the jailer's home, as a matter of fact, and uh, it's the letter that we have in our Bible called the letter to the Philippians. This was an enduring love that began that night for Paul, and it continued until he died. Well, we must move on. The journey carries on through um, uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia down to Thessalonica. And when they arrived in Thessalonica, they preached in the synagogue for three weeks, three Sabbaths. Many of the people came to know the Lord at that time, but there were some who didn't because they were envious of Paul. And they stirred up this city against Paul. And uh, as a result of the city being in an uproar, the new believers suggested that Paul just carry on and, and go on somewhere else. So they snuck out in the middle of the night and they moved on down to Berea. And so we come down to this little place here. And it says of the people of Berea that they were more fair-minded. They weren't like the people in Thessalonica. They searched the Scripture daily to see if the teaching of Paul and Silas was true. So they heard and they said, wait a minute, this is new. This is not what we've heard before. But could it be true? Let's see what the Scripture has to say. Wow, that's good. When you hear something, check what the Scripture says. See if it's true. As a result, many believed the gospel. And the Jews from Thessalonica, they weren't satisfied that Paul had escaped without being killed. And so they went on down and stirred up the people in Berea. And it forced Paul to leave and head for Athens. But Timothy and uh, Silas stayed behind to encourage and strengthen the believers. And so he came all the way down to Athens over here. And um, when he got there, Athens was another city like um, we had seen before. It was an idolatrous city. In fact, the, the city was given over wholesale to idolatry. They had idols and altars for every kind of God you can imagine. In fact, they they wanted to be certain that they covered every single God that there could possibly be, that they even built an altar to the unknown God, in case they forgot one. And so here Paul is, and he's, he's walking through this, and his soul is just grieved, and he's in torment over what, what he sees here. These people... Holy, given over to idolatry and it's just incredible to him to see this kind of um, spiritual darkness and so he sees that he comes to the uh, Areopagus and he saw all their altars and all their gods lined up and he found that altar devoted to the unknown God and he got up and he preached and he preached to them the God that you do not know I do know and he is Jesus Okay, and he preached about Jesus Christ And him crucified and resurrected. And although many did not believe, some did. Then he moved on down to Corinth. And in Corinth, he preached to the Jews at first. They rejected the message. Then he preached to the Gentiles, and many believed. And the Lord stopped Paul in his tracks in Corinth. And he said, Paul, I have many souls here in this city. Now, you wouldn't think of it... If you know anything about Corinth, Corinth was like San Francisco. It's a port city, one of the most wicked cities of uh, that age and time. And yet the Lord had many people in that city that he wanted to reach with the gospel. And so he said, Paul, I want you to stay here. And for 18 months of the two-year trip. So the journey of walking actually took place in six months. Ah. So 18 months he was there in uh, Corinth and preaching the gospel. and He was joined again by Silas and Timothy. And uh, when he left there, he came over to Ephesus, and then they came back down to Caesarea, then to Jerusalem, and then back up to Antioch again. And we come to the end of a 2,800-mile, 2, two-year trip. Now, we mentioned a lot of names of cities, and for a lot of you, you say, oh, okay, so what? A bunch of city names. Mentioning many names, and perhaps your eyes have glazed over, and you say, okay, so what? Um, what does that have to do with me? Big deal. I told a story some probably years ago about a man from uh, Barbados who came to the city of Vancouver and he preached the gospel. He saw a lady uh, with her two sons out on the city street and he preached the gospel to them. And the lady was sort of interested but she decided to take her sons to sunday school that sunday which she had never done before and one of her sons ultimately became a believer and he had four children who ultimately became believers who and one of the one of his children had four children who ultimately became believers and I'm one of her children and I have preached the gospel and seen people saved and in different towns or different cities And those cities or those towns or those areas or those people that live in those towns are important to me, just like these cities are important to Paul and are important for the gospel message that finally came to us. But that man from Barbados had no idea that in stopping that afternoon and talking to a stranger on the street, that there would be this windfall that would come from it, a number of people who came to know the Lord and the effect that those number of people have had on generations and generations uh, I know of five generations so far. And if the Lord tarries, maybe there will be more. From one person stopping another person on the city street. So yeah, the, city, the cities are important. Not because of the cities themselves. These cities, most of them have, have vanished today. At least they're not called by these names in most cases. But the people were important to Paul. He shared the gospel uh, with them. And, and cities around us should be important to us as well. The cities of the Bay Area here. Not because of the names of the city or the importance of the cities or because they're in Silicon Valley or because they're in Napa or wherever they happen to be. It's not the tourist attraction that is important to us, but it's the people who live in the cities. These are souls that are perishing without Christ. This is another reason that my soul is vexed. In recent months, as I think about what will be said of our missionary endeavors over the next two years, you see what Paul did in a two-year period, not only strengthening churches that he planted, but planting additional churches, seeing souls saved, all in a two-year period. Here's a man dedicated to work, uh, the work that the Lord had called him to. Will any other cities in the Bay Area be reached or any regions beyond be reached as a result of our outreach in the next two years? Our witness. Cities are important. Not for the city's sake, but for the people who live within them. In our study, we are now at the year 53 A.D. And unless you're looking really hard um, in Acts 18:23, all of a sudden we get into the third missionary journey. It's a very, very quick transition and um, if you blink, you're going to miss it. But that's where it starts in Acts chapter um, 18 verse 23. And so we come to the third missionary journey. Because of time, we're not going to go into great details. You can see on here, Quite a number of cities, quite a number of um, areas that he's gone back to. Some similar cities to the to ones we've seen already, and um, but he he arrives up in Ephesus as one of the cities, and he spends quite some time there. And he was there for three months preaching within the synagogue, and there were some who believed. Then he spent about two years in the school of Tyrannus, and he, he preached the gospel, certainly, and he also uh, taught the scriptures for about a two-year period. Another interesting event took place here, and it talks about, uh, it, it's, a, it's a passage that we often go to when we talk about repentance. Oftentimes people talk about repentance, and they say, well, repentance is just a change of mind, you know. I I wasn't thinking about God, and I changed my mind, and now I am. That's repentance. It's not repentance at all. Repentance is repentance toward God. It's turning to God, but it's turning from our sin. And these people in Ephesus really showed what it means to repent. Many of these people, in fact, the city was pretty much devoted to its own form of idolatry and magic and everything else like that. And there were magicians in town. And many of them came to know the Lord. They said, okay, what do we do now that we're saved? We've got all these magic books that we have, you know, potions and spells and all these things that we've been looking at and, and been practicing. What do we do with them? And if it were today, I think somebody would say, oh, I know, put them on eBay and sell them. You know? Send the money to the mission field. But you've corrupted other people. And these, and these magicians saw through that, and they saw the the hollowness, the emptiness of magic and the emptiness of that kind of lifestyle. And they took their books and they put them in the city square and they set them on fire. It was a great big bonfire. And they burned their books of magic. And they were worth a lot of money. But God wasn't interested in the money that they could get from the books. He was interested in them living lives devoted to Him. So they, Paul carries on He moves through uh, into Greece and and so on. And on his way back, he stops by at uh, Ephesus again. And I'm going to just end the message today here. But I'm going to jump ahead for just a second here. The rest of the book of Acts, once he gets back to Antioch, the rest of the book of Acts is devoted to Paul on trial. And uh, when he goes back to Jerusalem, he's he preaches the gospel. He's arrested He faces trials. He did nothing wrong, but the Jews were so upset with the gospel being preached, and particularly the gospel going out to the Gentiles, that they wanted to to snuff out this life. And ultimately, through the rest of the book of Acts, you see the trials that Paul underwent as he um, ministered the word, as he he was on trial, and and he ultimately ends up in Rome, and that's where the the, uh, book of Acts ends, with Paul in prison in Rome. That's not the end of the story, but that's the end of the book of Acts. But I want to just stop here and take a look at Acts chapter 20 because I think the message that Paul presents to the elders at this point is appropriate for us even today. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 20. And we'll just read a a few verses here. From Miletus, this is verse 17, chapter 20, verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish My race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I think about the Apostle Paul, and he viewed his life as a race to be run, and he wanted to finish well. And I think we need to have that same perspective in our life that we are in a race, and we need to run well and do the things that the Lord wants us to. That we might be able to finish the race with joy. And the ministry that, that the Lord has given to us, that we might be able to complete it with joy. You know, another thing that has troubled me over the last few months is that many of us may not finish well. Many of us may not finish well. We're running a race, but we may not finish well. It's hard to run the race when we are so entangled with the affairs of life. Very difficult. For many of you, your job is eating you alive. It's Just chewing up all of your time. Money and possessions have a grip probably on most of us. The pursuit of education, fortune, or fame, fame dries up the spiritual vitality in us. Paul wasn't worried about a retirement plan. He wasn't expecting to retire. He was expecting to die for the sake of the Lord. He wasn't going to live long enough to need it. And so my spirit is troubled because we think we have it all. That we're rich, increased with goods. We don't need anything ouch, that sounds like the church of Laodicea, doesn't it? And the Lord said, you know what? You've got it all backwards. That's what he said to the church of Laodicea. Quite the opposite is true. And I've been, uh, I shared with a couple of brothers, I said, you know, lately I've been praying radical prayers. And I think it's important for us to do so. Radical prayers. They're not really that radical, but they're radical in our generation, I think. The Lord said to the church of Laodicea, Buy from me gold. And he's not talking about chump change. Buy gold that is refined, purified, his gold. What is it that the Lord counts of value? He's not talking about gold that you mine in a mine. That's not what he's talking about there. What is it that the Lord counts as valuable? I know one thing his word, which is eternal. I know another thing is souls of men and women buy for me gold refined by the fire he says buy for me garments that are white pure he's talking about our life that we might live our lives in a way where we're pure and holy and righteous honoring and pleasing to the lord and he says buy for me i so that you might see We've been praying that way. Lord, that's the kind of gold that I want. Those are the kind of garments I want to wear. And I want to be able to see. And see clearly the way you see things. So that we might be able to echo Paul's words. But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. So that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, that's really why we're here. We're here on earth for that purpose, to preach the gospel, to live uh, for the sake of the Lord, no matter what the cost. We're going to end. We won't uh, have our final hymn again. We'll just close in prayer. Lord, as we see the... The journeys that Paul took and others took with him. We see the troubles that they faced along the way and yet the joy that filled their hearts. And Lord, so often we look at our own lives and we say, where is the joy? Where is the passion? Where is the love? Where is the enthusiasm that we once had? And Lord, perhaps it is because we have been going the wrong way and missing your, 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 um, direction altogether and so lord we want to come before you today and we ask you to give us eyes that see clearly give us a heart to seek after the gold that is important to you and garments that are white and pure that we might live holy lives before you lord it is not a trouble it is the greatest gift that you could give to us that we might live our lives wholly dedicated to you pleasing to you in everything, in every way, that we might have fruit that remains, and that we might have crowns that we might cast at your feet. Lord, we pray that you would trouble us and um, move in our lives, move in our hearts, Lord, that we might serve you with the same kind of gladness and joy that we see in the apostle. Lord, help us to, to run the race well and to finish with joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.